0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to uh, the latest episode of Thoughts on Films. My name is Fikri, and I'm here with uh, a very cool filmmaker who goes by the name of
1: Tony Pietra Arjuna. Woo! Hello, Tony. How are you doing? Fine, fine. All things considered, you know, <laughs> holding up. Oh, hope you're doing this, uh, doing just as well. Well, there are worse places yeah. to be stuck in
0: than, than Penang, so I'm counting my <laughs> blessings. I'm enjoying the Nasikanda probably a bit too much, um, but <laughs> all things considered, yeah, it's all good on my side. Good to know that yeah. you're doing all right uh, on that side yeah. as well. Um, yeah. yeah, for those of you who don't know, uh, Tony Petra Arjuna is a filmmaker, some renowned here in Malaysia. Yeah, he has made a film mm-hmm. called Shadow Play Witch, we have talked about on quite a number of occasions, really. I think I've written at least two pieces on your film, uh, a buzz piece as well as a review uh, of, of the film itself uh, some time ago. Um, and it is being released on a new platform called Kinidia, which is a Malaysian streaming platform uh, focusing a lot more on uh, local films being made more available for for all of you, ladies and gentlemen at home, perhaps uh, something to check out during this lockdown conditions that we all find ourselves in, maybe even as a competitor to Disney Plus Hotstar. I mean, why spend more money giving it all to, to, to
1: Mickey the Mouse and his friends? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right, yes. Whole, you know, the mouse. But, uh, but on that note, I just want to add a bit. If, if there are any filmmakers out there, you know, it's, it's actually uh, focused more on independent films. Especially uh, back catalog uh, independent films, which haven't really gotten any any kind of wider distribution. Mm. Um, so so if you're among those filmmakers, you know check it out. You know get in touch with uh, Justin Wong, the man who runs the uh, the platform, and it's a uh, he'll give you a pretty good deal uh, out of it. You know, but it's just it's it's something to try out. You know, especially during lockdown. You know, because uh, everybody's at home, people might get curious and check out something new on the side. Yeah. Absolutely, I totally agree yeah. with you. In fact, I think the
0: entire back catalogue of uh, mm-hmm. Kyril M Baha's films uh, can be yeah. found on that same platform as well. Again, somebody that we've talked about before. But today's session, ladies and gentlemen, is going to be a lot more focused on one particular film, which is Shadow Play, and it's going to be a lot more focused on the filmmaking side of things. So Essentially, the title, the working title that we have in mind for this particular episode, is the craft. Of Shadowplay, so we are going to be talking a lot more about the the, the story and the narrative, the character development side of things, uh, maybe even the geographical aspect, because there's a lot in Shadowplay that I think is worthy of greater discussion. Um, but perhaps there are plenty of uh, you out there, ladies and gentlemen, who may not be as familiar with the film itself. So I'm just going to run through a brief introduction that I've written up for the for the episode here today. Um, Simply put, Shadowplay, a feature film, uh, the first solo directorial feature film effort from your side of the fence, I believe, uh, Tony. uh, You have been knocking around the industry for a number of years. Um, I think in researching for this, I I realized that you also did Ghost, which I was a big fan of uh, back in the day. So so that was fantastic. And I was surprised to know that there was a second season of Ghost. That completely skipped by me for some reason. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, I, but then I realized I was not around for that, but nevertheless, the point is you've done your stuff, you paid your dues and you come up with shadow play, which is, um, yeah. uh, in, in many respects, uh, your, your, your most accomplished work here thus far. The story is basically of Anton Shaw. Um, <laughs> I, I, I miswrote here. I, I wrote, the, in brackets, I'm supposed to write Tony Yusuf, but I, I wrote uh, Tony Pietra Arjuna instead of Tony Yusuf. <laughs> and, now, and now I'm wondering whether this is a Freudian slip that we can perhaps get into a bit more in today's discussion later on, ladies and gentlemen. So maybe
1: I'm not entirely incorrect. To make no, such you're not, an because, <laughs> You're not, because you're not alone. You're not the only one who make, who makes that slip. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's funny because, because we've been, we, you know, occasionally, and I I know this might be a, an insult to Tony, the other Tony, but a couple of times in the past, we were confused for each other. Um, oh, really? Yeah, because th- there was a time when, uh, I mean, he's, he's pretty, he's very lean now, but there was a time when he, he put on a bit of weight, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, um, at that time, I, I lost a bit of weight as well. So we were somewhere in between. So so we kind of like resemble each other. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. Oh, at, at that time, but now I'm I'm leaner than I was a couple of years ago. So uh, it, it might happen again. <laughs> well, if, if it means yeah. that you make the kind of money
0: that he's making, um, it's probably not oh, such boy. a bad thing, I, I would imagine. I would imagine. Oh, yeah. But nevertheless, probably. coming back to the synopsis, uh, <laughs> is the story of Anton Shaw. A private investigator who takes on a case to find a missing um, university student uh, who goes by the name of Lamia, uh, played by Julia Hartman. In solving the case, he must also explore the depths of his own mind, it says here in the official synopsis, to uncover the truth around his own childhood disappearance. So there's a lot that we'll get into about uh, this synopsis a bit more in a short while. Um, there are other key cast members as well, including Radi Khalid, who is a um, the film's producer, Megat Sharizal, uh, Susan Lancaster, IS uh, Shaukat Fonseca as well, who mm-hmm. is also the... I've read I've read of him as Malaysia's yeah. first professional wrestler. I I think that's fantastic. Um, yeah. And also on that note, I must say that your name, out mm-hmm. of all the Malaysian filmmakers' name, I feel like yours is the most appropriate if you were to be announced as a wrestler. <laughs> if, that, if that makes sense. It's like, you, you can't yeah. announce... Kai, Kai, Kai's name or, or yeah, gavin yeah. gavin y's name that like, you can't be announced by the ring announcer in that way and still have that oomph about it but your name it's just like sometimes i feel like if you're a wrestler that you don't have to change anything about your name i you know, can Tony you just imagine Petra Petra exactly exactly that you know so so yes yeah. um anyways
1: okay uh, that's it's, another it's, career change i might consider you know depending on how things pan out after this uh Stupid uh, pandemic. So <laughs>
0: exactly, exactly. Uh, we all have to consider alternatives. Um, yeah. But nevertheless, come back to this. Uh, behind the camera, mm-hmm. we also have the cinematographer Pravin Kumar, Paul Hasham, Stellar Dreams also contributing in, in key respective roles. Um, the film itself won awards at the 2019 Malaysian Digital Film Awards, uh, uh, including the in the category for Best Digital Feature Film and Best Digital Cinematography. And it also scooped up a handful at the 2020 Neo South Independent Festival um, Independent Film Festival, which is the awards for Best Director, Picture, Cinematography, Editing, and Original Score. That's did, did you have to get a new trophy cabinet from IKEA for all of these trophies? <laughs> <don't you? laughs>
1: well, actually, they're more like certificates, but they're the next best thing.
0: Still, so, yeah. I mean, in need space on the wall, perhaps to to hang yeah, the yeah, framed yeah, yeah. version of certificates. Yeah. Uh, so. So some yeah. kind of re- re- renovation is needed in your own yeah. good home. Um, your yeah. first release on Vimeo in 2019, it is now available on a number of different platforms, including the aforementioned Kinidia, and we will share the link um, to this very platform uh, in the show notes for this episode. But for now, Tony, we are gonna start at the beginning. Um, this is perhaps a discussion that will run for two different episodes. So for this episode, I would like to focus on the story as well as the character. Uh, development in Shadowplay. So, um, of course, in the beginning, it's, it's probably a good idea to start right at the very start. Um,
1: what was the, the point of origin for this particular film, Tony? Oh, wow, good question. Okay. So, um, it goes all the way back to, in, to the mid-2000s. And this wasn't long after I watched uh, Mulholland Drive. So, um, M- Mulholland Drive was was Basically the, the impetus. You know, the, the film was it was, you know, one of the most sublime experiences of my life. And this is already coming from somebody who grew up on David Lynch. Um mm. so uh I mean there was already that that bias already and, and that film, you know, when it when it came out, the buzz it created, you know, and, and how it became an instant classic inspired me to kind of like um um well for one thing, the film itself is an enigma. It's it's a it's a puzzle box puzzle box narrative, you know, which you know, even 20 years down the line, you know, it's exactly 20 years now since that film came out. I'm still trying to decipher it. And that's part of what fascinated me about the film. Mm. And and it inspired me to um, want to make a film like that. Uh, and it, it, also, it also tied in with, at the time, um, my nostalgia for Twin Peaks. This was, of course, like a decade before season three finally came about. You know, yep, so... Yep. So all those things came together and I, and I decided that I wanted this particular uh, film to be my, my statement, my debut as a director. Um, because you know uh, narratives like that is a, is a good place to just kind of like experiment and just kind of like find your voice along the way. And um, it's like what Kevin Smith said at one point and this inspired me. You know, Don't be afraid to imitate in order to innovate. Meaning mm. that, you know, of course you don't plagiarize, but you kind of like, you know, wear your influences on your sleeves in order to find your own voice. So that's that's what I wanted to do with Shadowplay. So it started off as a script that I co-wrote with Kai Baha. You know, um, all I... All right,
0: I, so I, he was he was in right at the very start, yeah?
1: Pretty much right at the very start. Although, basically what I did was I laid out the entire treatment, all the beats first. And it was mm. like uh, almost 30 pages, you know. So, so at that time, I wasn't confident in my... Skills uh, writing dialogue, so um, you know I got him to 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 do, do that for me, and this tied in with uh, around the same time that a uh, chip block was being was being shot. All right. Well. Oh it, yes, yes. This first film, and I was like one of the co-DPs on the film, and roughly around the, the time radius where we met and decided and became friends and became fellow filmmakers and so forth. So it was it was it was uh, it was it was around that same uh, period um, of discovery, so so to speak. So the, the screenplay got made initially it was called The Big Nothing and it was a very different film um, I mean the title itself was an homage to like you know classic pulp uh and uh, 40s noir you know, like the big heat you know the big combo you know so forth you know so, so even, something even, big going on there yeah was something big going on or the big nowhere so even the approach was was more as as an homage to classic 40s noir like imagine Anton Moore like you know he was actually wearing a fedora you know with a suit you know, it would it very well, yeah. And, and so forth. So um, the script was done, and it took another ten years, uh, more or less, before it finally got bankrolled and made. You know, because basically nobody wanted to greenlight the green light this film. Whoever I pitched it to didn't want to um, uh, get it made for one simple reason. Well, well, two. At that time, I wasn't very. I had. I didn't really have much of a track record yet as a director. Okay. Uh, number two, it couldn't be positioned for local audiences, and mm-hmm. and everybody thought, okay, this will not find, uh, this will not land in Malaysia, so we're not mm-hmm. interested, you know. So uh, I came to accept that re- that reality, and also I came, came to accept the reality that you know, in order to get it made to some capacity, I had to scale it down. So what initially started as a two and a half hour film on paper oh, <laughs> wow. became ninety. Yeah, it was an epic you know, became 90 minutes and it was, you know, and it was kind of like tailored more for a micro budget. So, so uh, to just kind of like close this part of the conversation. So what happened was so it, it didn't turn out to be my debut film at the end of the day. I mean, it did in a sense, mm-hmm. but, but, but the blessing of this guy was like between then and now, you know, I started directing, you know, uh, dramas, uh, documentaries, TV content, you know, a couple of films here and there. So that primed me, you know, to finally get shadow play made. And with that cred uh, uh, on my sleeve, I was finally able to get it off the ground with the help of uh, this company called Twenty Seven Ten Pictures, which is based right. in the UK. So they're the ones mm-hmm. who initially bankrolled it, and then Radhi came on board and bankrolled the rest. You know, uh, became the EP effectively uh, on in Malaysia with, with uh, Kino Eye Pictures, who mm-hmm. some some people might know as people who were at the forefront of the Malaysian indie movement in the '90s with mm-hmm. Lips to Lips. For example, yeah. so these guys were, were involved with that. Absolutely. So, yeah. And and I actually met those guys what, for a screening of Lips to Lips back in 1999. So it's funny that, like, you know, 20 years later, we finally got together and collaborated on this. How about that? <laughs> yeah, I love that. It's <laughs> so, yeah. amazing. All right, so there's a long journey of about 10
0: minutes that's just squished into just, uh, or 10 years rather, squished into uh, just a number of minutes there. Um, and, and perhaps we will be referring back to some of the points that you raised there. Um, I kind of want to jump into the story. So, so we have an idea earlier about the story being that of a private investigator. and You mentioned how this could be connected to some um, uh, film genres and, and key films. That, that we okay. could note in the history of, of filmmaking as a whole. Um, but I kind of want to get into a particular genre of basically the multiple choice or, or game books, if you will. Um, because in, in the film, there, there's this particular book that for the purposes of our conversation, I'm just going to call a game book. Um, because when you read through the pages, you do get to the end of a particular page. And then it says, if you want to go for this one, turn to page 18. Yeah. But if you think the other person is a suspect, for instance, go to page 50 or something like that. So, so this kind of follows a bit of what uh, the the theorist uh, David Bordwell uh, would regard as a forking path narrative structure. So basically you have the protagonist being given a choice. Um, And for my part, I'm actually quite a fan of these books. Uh, Certainly back in my childhood, I remember having uh, a number of uh, Super Mario um, Mm -hmm. game books, you know, so I would just, Read through, and I, it's like playing a game, but in the form of a book. So I just yeah. wonder, like, um, yeah. for shadow play, for your own purposes, like, how much of an influence were these books on the narrative structure of the film?
1: One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Yeah, I, actually, it would have been two hundred percent, but um, uh, at, at some point in in, in the course of, of of me updating the screenplay with with that uh, uh, forking narrative. Um, was to make it an all-out like like a game book adventure. It would have been even more complex in terms of the forking narratives, uh, mm. the directions that were taken. But then uh, uh, we didn't have the budget or the time to pull that off. So right. I had to be more selective in in in, in, in conveying that. So um, just shortly, one day, if I get to revisit this concept, I would probably want to go all out with that approach, mm. the, the way Bandersnatch did, for example. You know, yeah, but. But with, but with this particular story. But anyway, um, yeah, so I think the, the the main thing about, one of the main things about Shatterplay is the whole uh, theme of nostalgia, about how uh, basically the protagonist um, channels elements of his childhood to deal with um, uh, the trauma of his past and mm-hmm. how sometimes these things coexist, the things that you love most somehow in a twisted but uh, kind of a bittersweet kind of way goes hand to hand with their own trauma from the same time. All so... Right. And 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 in my particular case, you know, if, if uh, putting myself in the mind of of, of Anton, you know, if, if what would I channel, you know? And one of the things that meant a lot to me as a child was, as as you were, were these game books. So I think, you know, especially to Gen Xers, you know, uh, those who grew up in the 80s or 90s, um, everybody might might have might know Choose Your Own Adventure. That's the most famous one. Um, yeah. But in my particular case, it was Fighting Fantasy. Um, Ian Livingstone. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice one. So, so, so those were really, really essential to my childhood. And But what I thought would, would be cool was, at least to my knowledge, there were never really any game books, at least at the time, that were in the noir genre.
0: You know, no, so, no, they weren't.
1: They weren't. They weren't you know, it was either yeah. fantasy, or sci-fi, or, 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 or superheroes. You know, so exactly. Thought, okay, yeah. It would be cool to explore that concept within the context of a noir narrative. You know, so yeah, but, yeah, you're right.
0: Actually, I mean, yeah. of course, the yeah. the genre, as I understand the genre, to be, it would fit very well in that context. But you're right. Now that you have mentioned it, off the top of my head, yeah. I'm yeah. thinking stuff like Dungeons and Dragons, perhaps. You know, this yeah. this kind of um, examples. Uh, you would find plenty of this kind of uh, game books, if yeah. you will. But uh, yeah. oh film noir or a noirish kind of story. It fits exactly. perfectly, but, but certainly not off the top of my head. Not something that I'm
1: aware of. No. Yeah, right. You know, so um, I mean, the, the, the labyrinthine, you know, mystery narrative is, is perfectly suited for a role-playing type of game book. But of course, you have video games now for that. You know, so uh, but back then, you know, at least at least in my memory, there weren't any books, any game, role-playing game books which explored that idea. So I guess there was no market for it at the time. Everybody was into uh, D and D uh, and Lone Wolf, <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, Dragonlance, Dragonlance. You know, nice. <laughs> Am I right in saying Castlevania was a part of this as well? Castlevania's... Or oh, oh, was that yeah, just the game? Been, yeah, I think there might have been a tie-in. There was definitely, yeah, definitely the video game, but there might mm. have been some, uh, some um, uh, game book tie-ins as well. Yeah. All right, okay, so, yeah. fair enough. Okay, so that's
0: um, that's it's very interesting to know uh, because uh, as, as you mentioned, this is actually not a particularly common uh, yeah. point for... Not not just for books, but also for films, right? You mentioned yeah. earlier about um, David Lynch being a key influence uh, for this film, yeah. and you know, you know, a, a David Lynch film is is, is always going to be the kind of film that will uh, induce a certain dread or a certain excitement, depending on yeah. <laughs> depending on, on on who you are like as a person. If you like a clean yeah. cut narrative, right? Yeah. I mean, and it's probably not for you. But if you have to really sit there and be willing to be confused <laughs> it's, it's, it's perfect. And, and so I, I can see that being a key influence, but I kind of want to throw into the ring, uh, the hat of Run Lola Run, which is a mm-hmm. film by Tom Twyker. Um, yeah. So maybe for, for the benefit of those who may not be as aware, that, yeah. that is a story in which a girl, Lola, has to kind of do something to save her boyfriend. But the the more to the point here, the narrative structure of that film also plays very much like a game. So you do get to get Lola to do certain things and then she fails and then she dies and then she kind of starts again at a certain point. So it's like when you play a video game, yeah. you do something and then you die and then you start again, perhaps at the start of the stage or the start of the level. And yeah. I find that certainly at, at more than just a few times in the film, there are parts in, in your film yeah. without necessarily giving anything away or, or giving yeah. too much away Um, this reset element is there. So I kind of wonder as well about uh, the role of other films. Um, Maybe uh, is is there like somebody else apart from David Lynch um, that may have played uh, an influence or played a role in influencing um, the structure of Shadow Place narrative?
1: In in terms of this, okay, uh, come to think of it, maybe Run, Lola Run might've been subconscious. I wasn't consciously uh, channeling it, but I think it has to do with the fact that it was one of the most, revelatory experiences of my of my life when i first saw it uh in the cinema uh when i was living in boston um i mean which which one is this uh,
0: david lynch run run
1: run run, run. Run, run, run. oh you saw it in the cinema yeah yeah. oh my goodness (laughs) brilliant yeah it was amazing and i saw i saw it in boston you know when i was when i was in college there so uh and experiencing it it was very electric you know it was like you know with the audience in there it was like unlike anything anybody's ever experienced Uh, you so I think subconscious, boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and come to think of, you know, when I started conceptualizing um, uh, Shadow Play or the Big Nothing at that time, it wasn't too long after that, just several years after that. So I think it might have just kind of like miasmized or permeated into my my subconscious uh, to kind of like follow that kind of uh, structure. But I would say that um, uh, Run Lula Run was very kinetic. You know, whereas Shadowplay takes a more uh, surreal and stately kind of a oh, slow, yeah, deliberately slow approach to that. But yeah, mm-hmm. so maybe it was a, kind of like a subconscious kind of a channeling uh, in that sense. But yeah, apart from that, uh, I think it's mainly, okay. So consciously run, load, and run, and consciously those game books that we talked about previously, in terms of narrative structure. Oh, right. oh, 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 oh. Oh, is there another know? one? Okay, the primary <laughs> The primary one is the Never Ending Story. Oh, of course. Yeah, 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 yes, the Never Ending Story. So what I wanted to do with Shadow Play was also, in a sense, it was one of my favorite childhood films and childhood books as well. Mm. So it's like the idea, you know, why, why don't, why don't I kind of like, kind of like remake, you know, the Never Ending Story, you know, mm. but in the noir genre. <laughs> <So that> one, <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> Yeah. Well, all these are very interesting,
0: I guess you could say, um, a conflation of different points of interest and whatnot, but it must've been quite difficult because I think in in many respects, when we talk about this type of narrative, we are talking about something that's a little bit more open ended than, than other kinds of films, if you will, which has a fairly conventional beginning, middle, end, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so there's a lot in Shadowplay that I think is also quite, uh, uh, very much up to the audience, if you will. Yeah. You know, you, you yeah. can take your own interpretations and, and work with that whichever yeah. way you like. But yeah. but creating such an open-ended um, narrative, I feel, mm-hmm. um, it's not the easiest, at least not to me. What was it like for you?
1: Um, to me, it was, uh, I'll be honest, I was basically experimenting and I kind of like threw the rules out, out the window. All right. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but although having said that, the original two and a half hour script, mm-hmm. you know, had a lot more uh, things to spoon feed you with. So right, okay. um, there was a lot more connective tissue, you know, to really just kind of like um, make everything kind of like add up so that there were less ambiguities. It, mm-hmm. it was still surreal, you know, but yes, a lot of those ambiguities, which which uh, uh, resulted in the, in, in the final film, was more... Um, Um, was more explicitly uh conveyed so so what happened was uh what what i I did was because i had to cut it down to 90 minutes for the purpose of uh uh, distribution and just budget reasons as well was that oh okay what if i just took out all all those uh unambiguous parts all the parts that explain everything you know Mm. all that connective tissue you know and uh as a result, it became more of the kind of David Lynch film that I wanted, you know, which is something, um, which is meant to be ambiguous. But I think more so, uh, coming into Shadowplay, what I wanted to do was, you know, I get a lot of my ideas from my dreams. So, and oh, as, you, you know, as you know, dreams have very little connective tissue; they just happen almost randomly. But some kind of some kind of narrative is formed anyway. Yeah. Uh, but but connective tissue is almost absent. You know, it's you know dream logic, as as they would say. Yeah. So 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 what I wanted to do was, you know, what if I went to sleep, I dreamt, but I stuck a camera into my head so I could record what I was dreaming, and I that would that, be the result. Yeah. I, I think there's a film about that. Um, until the end of the world. Uh, did that. Um. The no, no, it's it's.
0: I'm I'm thinking of a Japanese film. Uh, Paprika? Yes. Paprika.
1: I oh, think Paprika yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, Paprika was something. Something. yeah, but that that was more like about how dreams were um uh recorded onto the internet or something like
0: that. Yeah, uh, I can't remember now. I remember yeah, watching that yeah. film and thinking, right, if Christopher Nolan is Japanese, <laughs> this is yeah. this is the film. And if he's into anime, uh, this is the yeah. kind of film that he would make. So so when you no, say like, a recording of dreams, that, that was yeah. uh, something that, that I was reminded yeah. of.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, so that's kind of like that's the result I wanted out of shadow play is to, to, to just kind of like experience this the story intuitively and not from a log- logical standpoint, as if you're peering into somebody's brain and seeing what they're dreaming. So that's fundamentally what I wanted to do with shadow play, and um, it, it it's not something that everybody uh, can appreciate, and and I and I, and I realize that. Um, but uh, it was important to me that I somehow um, uh, fulfilled that part of my bucket list.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because this yeah. is yeah. your first, as, as we mentioned earlier, this is your yeah. first solo yeah. Yeah. directorial yeah. effort, right? I mean, yeah. as a feature film yeah. maker. And yeah. I think for a lot of yeah. filmmakers, uh, first time directors, you know, mm-hmm. more often than not, you're looking at their first feature yeah. effort as yeah. their calling card as, as yeah. the, if you really yeah. want to understand who or what this person is all about yeah. <laughs> as, as yeah. a filmmaker, yeah. that's, yeah. that's what you're looking at. So, yeah. so absolutely. Yeah. I think I, I appreciate you not compromising. I just yeah. wonder though, a bit more about the the reaction from the audience, because you mentioned earlier how yeah. Yeah. some people are not able to get on board with what it is that yeah. you're trying to do. Yeah. Um, what was, I mean, yeah. perhaps generally, or perhaps in a more specific uh, way I mean, what was the reaction like to Shadow Play um, since it's released a few years ago?
1: Uh, well, okay, pretty much all across the board, but mostly it's you know it's it's um, uh, I, I think the, the danger of making a film this personal is that it's less likely to um, to really have a wide outreach, right? Uh, and and that's certainly been the case. Uh, uh, but I'm hoping that the film just does, does gain some kind of traction maybe it's a slow burn kind of thing because right now as we speak we're still uh, finding ways to get it distributed uh, on a wider scale because right now it only exists on on voD so we're trying to get it on streaming so you know once it gets on, on onto streaming services and so forth it might have eventually find its audience somewhere when you know but um, but it was designed for a niche audience anyway so um, Uh, We're just hoping that would land a more substantial uh, niche audience. Uh, But yeah, so in terms of reaction, reviews have been 50 50. You know, they've been very favorable. There have been very favorable reviews. Uh, And and of course, there have been negative reviews as well. But the negative ones were very constructive. So uh, what encourages me was that even though they kind of like not favored the film as much, they appreciated what they liked about the film. Mm. Uh, so it's like they were saying that there's a lot to like in this film, but there's a lot that needs to be worked on, and so forth. And that uh, that, uh, that I failed on some in some regards here and there. But it's funny because you know this critic would say I failed in this, but another critic critic would say that I succeeded in this for the same reason. <laughs> you know, that I <laughs> out as failure by somebody else. So so it's the the film is basically the embodiment of ambiguity of ambivalence. <laughs> <laughs> And how do you How do you feel yeah. about that? Is that something that
0: yeah. What you're happy about You don't care Or does it get you down? Does it make you feel satisfied?
1: Yeah, I mean I mean, I I, I won't lie You know, at times It does get me down But then I kind of like t- Take it as a As a point of uh, Of learning as well You know, because uh, I think everything Everything that's been s- Said so far In terms of Official reviews at least Have been valid You know, good and bad You know, but it is Um Um Uh Technically, my first uh, film uh, with my own statement you know, with my own imprint. So, um, and and I'm glad that, that at least you know it got some reaction here and there, you know, good or bad, you know. But uh, I think what it encourages me, of course, is uh, are the good ones, you know, because then it tells me, okay, I've, we we did something right with this film, All right, you know. And the bad ones will say, okay, uh, this is what uh, uh, I need to improve the next time I, I approach this uh, kind of uh, concept. And, it's, and frankly, it'll probably be a while before I revisit anything like Shadowclay because it's out of my system now. So uh, now I think yeah. I'll focus on conventional narratives from here on, <laughs> more okay. uh, more commercially viable ones. <laughs> okay, but <laughs> well,
0: that's, that's certainly something that we will delve uh, into a bit yeah. more later on. Uh, just yeah. a bit more on top of the discussion that we're having here. Yeah. I think at this moment in time, there's been a similar, uh, I guess you could say, I don't want to say storm in the teacup, it's, it's not quite at that level, but certainly um, for those uh, for, for the ladies and the gentlemen at home who may not be aware, I mean, there's this Malaysian film called Rope, directed by Emir Ezwan, which has been doing very well for itself over the past yeah. year or so. Um, it was Malaysia's uh, submission to the Academy Awards. Uh, it didn't make the cut, unfortunately, but nevertheless, I think by and large, another very good film that I myself personally can get on board with. But more recently, it feels like a lot more people are stepping out with more of the negative kind of comments. Um, yeah. and, and I feel like, you know, there's that context that we kind of have to bear in mind. You mentioned earlier about Malaysian audiences, quite a number of them might not necessarily be able to, to immediately familiarize themselves with the vagaries that you can find in a film like Shadow Play, And I think Rohit is another, another example of that. So it does kind of highlight just the variety of audiences that you have, I suppose in any cinema or any country around the world, but but certainly uh, pertinent to our discussion here, there's that disparity as well that exists between people who, as you mentioned, really, really like the film and then others who don't. Um, yeah. So I think that's perhaps something for, for the ladies and gentlemen at home listening to this uh, discussion here. Perhaps something that we can bear in mind. Nevertheless, um, uh, one thing that I, I personally find myself in the camp of really liking the film, um, but that's because I like really complex stuff. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me, but um, but, but I do find the the, the layers, to the clear. narrative. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thanks very much. I'll take that whenever I can get it. Um, but I do find that the, the the layers to the narrative is something that I find really intriguing because we have like flashback sequences, which can also be coupled with some scenes that. I personally read as a depiction of, of uh, Anton's uh, subconsciousness, if you will. Yeah. And then there's yeah. the so-called reality that we see in the film's um, main storyline, if you will. It's like the so-called, rea- the real reality, if you kind of want to work with that particular term yeah. for now. Yeah. And then there are yeah. other aspects from the game book I mentioned earlier, I knew Sayangku, which were also interwoven yeah. In the end, to be honest with you, uh, it's not quite as clear which is which, but for yeah. me, therein lies the fun. And I just wonder for you,
1: yeah.
0: what is the process like crafting all of this together into what we see in the film? Um, right. And I know you say that you you like it and you get influences or inspiration from other people, but I think for you personally, to come up with something yeah. uh, of your own accord and then to kind of connect the dots yeah. together, I, what,
1: what was that process like for you? Uh, all of it was very intuitive. Um, so 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 as i mentioned earlier you know i didn't follow any particular kind of rule book or any kind of uh, guideline to get that made it was just a, a lot of it just came from instinct mm-hmm. because in, in 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 order for that dream logic or kind of like a, a the, the vibe of, of of experiencing a waking dream or a lucid dream means having to approach the uh the content in, in a similar kind of man, manner if 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 i i figured if i um if I thought it through too much, it came up with a kind of a formula or a kind of a guideline for it. It would be too much like Inception, you know, where, um, I mean, Inception is a fine film, but it takes a different approach where it basically goes out of its way to give you all the rules, you know, and, and give you all the logic. Um, there's a lot of exposition there. There's a lot of exposition so that you know how how, 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 how this idea works, you know, um, and I wanted to take the opposite. I didn't want you to know how it works, you know, and, you um, mm. And you're right. I think uh, the fact that these um, layers and narratives um, don't make themselves clear in terms of what's what and which which narrative actually dominates—that was intended. So I wanted it to be not clear. So of course that that could be a problem for some audiences or maybe most audiences, mm-hmm. <laughs> if I if I need to be frank. But did what's you did to
0: you kind of lose track at, at some point in time? Um, like you're you're working with one layer of narrative, but then suddenly you think, yeah. oh, hang on, is this something like you know? Should I put something else here or something? I mean, yeah. do you kind of lose yeah. track of what it is it you yourself wanted to do.
1: Maybe, maybe, well, yeah, maybe I did because uh, maybe maybe it was kind of like the reverse, like you know. Uh, oh, okay. Because like in the the original script, um, Big Nothing was more grounded in in, in the primary narrative which was uh, Anton's um, present. right. Okay. So but because I had to cut cut down the script and just kind of like make it more surreal uh, by, by, by default as I was doing it was to kind of deliberately lose track of which is the primary narrative. Ooh. Um, so I think so that so, so, so I think the secret of, of Shadowplay's narrative is to kind of like uh, come to your own conclusions. Which one is actually the primary narrative? Is it Anton in the present? Is it him as a child? And I'm not going to give too way, too much away here right now. But right now, um, uh, it is assumed that his his uh, the the scenes of him as a child are flashbacks. Hmm. Are they actually flashbacks? What's not to say that adult Anton, uh, the primary narrative. It, or the, the primary universe, you know, is in mm-hmm. fact a flash forward of what's yeah, being that's projected. That, though, that, that's certainly something that I did not quite consider yeah. as yeah.
0: much. Um, yeah. I mean, there is a sure. past, present, and future element that I did wonder um, about, but I didn't, yeah. certainly did not consider the, 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 the tool yeah. of uh, flash forward being oh. utilized in the film. But that's something so, certainly that i can take on board if, if i were to give it another spin yeah, yeah. i think i've seen it four in- times
1: now <laughs> oh wow okay i'm surprised you're not sick of it so yeah but so fundamentally what anchors that idea is the game book narrative itself because of right of it gives you many outcomes mm-hmm. you know so um so i think without giving too much away or perhaps i am giving too much away. It all ties down to the whole many, uh, the, the the many the, the many worlds concept. You know, these these tangent universes. You know, quoting Donnie Darko, and I think yeah, I think Donnie Darko was to some degree an influence. All well.
0: right, yeah, absolutely, yeah, you
1: know. But that one that one had only one tangent universe. This one has many, <laughs> several. <laughs> <laughs> and we need and we need
0: Doctor Strange to come on board and to kind know, of side right? with
1: <laughs> the film. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And I have a feeling that 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 multi- multiverse of madness might actually uh, home in on the same idea as well. Oh really? Because, yeah, uh, because uh, I think if have you seen WandaVision? I have, yeah. In terms of a central concept, it's exactly the same as, as Shadow Play. Yeah, okay. Wow. Uh, so basically how uh Wanda Scarlet right. would, you know, manifests the thing the thing that meant to her most as a child, you know. These the sitcoms, which her parents would show her, okay, okay, to reconcile all the loss and trauma that she's experienced.
0: Okay, mm. yeah, I tell you what, so, I and, think that that's and, certainly a very and, interesting reading, yeah,
1: yeah, and, and and both both coexist, you know, these these wonderful memories in childhood coexisting with you know all all, all these traumas that she experienced as, as she was growing up as well, mm. you know, and 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 it's it's how she deals with both is by manifesting them together. So at the core, that's, what, that's exactly what Shadowplay is about. But I'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay,
0: fair enough. You can indeed leave yeah. it at that. I must, I must yeah. say though, I think perhaps it is my mm-hmm. professional background as, uh, as a lecturer, mm-hmm. but watching Wonder Vision, uh, yeah. as much as I can appreciate the exploration of grief and everything, I think I got a bit yeah. stuck on this mm-hmm. whole idea of, certainly in the earlier episodes of the season, you see yeah. a very interesting and a very different exploration of the different genres. Um, right. in Each episode, um, yeah. and the genre of sitcom as it has uh, yeah. evolved from from the fifties, yeah. you know, all, all the way through to the to the present time. So you see, yeah. um, you know, examples of I Love Lucy, Brady Bunch, uh, yeah. what was it uh, Modern Modern yeah. Family and whatnot. So you, you do see plenty of all this, and, yeah. and I think personally, I think maybe I was just excited to see all of that put together because yeah. these are the things yeah. I talk about in class, but of course yeah. they've never been put together into one. Particular yeah. series or one particular mm-hmm. film, so yeah. So I do look at it and I think, oh, that's what I was talking about just last week, yeah. for instance. Mm-hmm. So that's something yeah. that I, I really appreciated about Wonder Vision, and perhaps that got in the way of me kind of thinking about how similar the exploration of grief might have been to what we see in Shadow Play. But of course, for that, mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen, you're gonna have to watch Shadow Play and then watch Wonder Vision. And then kind of <laughs> kind of check it, check out uh, you know the, the similarities and differences between the two. Um, but you won't be disappointed. Both are very good uh, uh, films and TV shows to check out in their in their own right. So, but coming back to to our discussion about the story and just to wrap up the the part about the narrative here, you also worked. We mentioned earlier with uh, Kyril and Bahar and Magdalene yeah. Spooner. Am I saying that
1: correctly? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. right. On on the script, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I I just wonder what this. Process must have been like for you working with not one, but two other yeah. scriptwriters in constructing the in, in constructing the film's uh, story, if you will. Um, perhaps, uh, maybe most importantly, who came up with the line? The
1: third was in tutorial the whole day. <laughs> 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 well, you know what? I've forgotten. Okay, <laughs> um, just, just that, uh, on that last one, I think it, it might have been Kai initially. You know, because he 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 grew up in 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 the UK. You know, okay. so, so imagine okay. that within a British, you know, that, you know, and so forth. You know, but <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I think somewhere along the way, I might've tweaked it. I can't remember. It's like at that point where it became such a collaboration, you're not really sure who, who, who did what anymore, you know, That's but that. I think, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, but going back for it, I mean, it was, it was, basically simple. I mean, pretty much the story, the beats, the treatment, you know, the, just the whole layout uh, of, of the screenplay was me. Hmm. Um, but then, in terms of uh, getting it, uh, making it into a legit screenplay with dialogue, that was Kai next, um, and that was for the the initial, the, the first incarnation, the first draft of the of Shadowplay, which was the big nothing, you know, the two right. and a half hour uh, <laughs> screenplay, you know. So I brought Magdalene in um, at the uh, at, at in the last stretch, it was, it was when we cut it down to ninety minutes. Okay. All right. so, so basically, I needed my to kind of like script doctor it and just kind of like um, chisel it and uh, get rid of the fat and just um, maybe improve some of the dialogue as well. Uh, so that was that. That was actually the process, you know. Uh, and, and I mean, I couldn't have done it without them, but I would say that it was me more in terms of crafting the story and them more in terms of just polishing um, the, uh, the the end result. And but, but with Kai especially, you know, it. We, we wouldn't have a screenplay if I didn't get Kai to, to write
0: it with me. Right. Excellent. So it's good to note the collaborative aspects. Um, yeah, because, yeah. um, I feel that some filmmakers, they do get a little territorial about, yeah. um, how certain stories, uh, could or should unfold. Um, and then we are going to get more into this, but, but certainly behind the camera you work with a lot of, uh, well, respected filmmakers and, and personalities. Um, and and so it's good to see how that has led to uh, the construction of a very interesting story, at least for me personally. And also thanks for the line. It's just, yeah, I just like the line. I just, I've seen it a number of times every time it gets me. So it's just, it's just great. It's just great. <laughs> I mean, there's plenty of other lines in the film, of course, ladies and gentlemen, but uh, the third was in tutorial the whole day, I feel. <laughs> that's something that my students might say about me as well. Huh? But that's an- <laughs> another story for another day, um, yeah, yeah. which we'll probably get to a bit yeah. more later on. Do you think he... Maybe. But Sixie Alibis said that the turd was in tutorial the whole day. Yeah. Interesting. For now, <laughs> for now I, I do want to get more into the characters that we see okay. in the film. Yeah. Um, given that this is your first solo effort as a director, uh, yeah. You know, we, we've established that uh, this is also a very personal film to you. And I did mention yeah. earlier about the Freudian slip of, of listing your name instead of the Tony Yusuf's uh, name yeah. as yeah. as uh, the actor performing as Anton. But, but all the same, I think it is an interesting question worth bearing in mind. Like, how much of Anton um, on screen can we see as Tony, that is you, on yeah.
1: screen as well? Yeah. Um, at least 50%. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, he, yes, I, I'll, I'll say that out loud. He, I designed him as a kind of alter ego. Um, Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, it, it was, you know, because, because I wanted this film to be as personal as possible It's kind of like put myself in the, in the shoes of, of the protagonist and just imagine myself on this journey as well. And what I was doing was just kind of like, um, uh, you know, encapsulating all my personal experiences, uh, uh, in, in real life, uh, and some of the, um, and, and just kind of like um, uh, compositing some elements of other people in my life who are close to me into, into this single character. Um, and uh, I, I think um, I'm, I'm a very spir- spiritual person, for one thing. You know, uh, I, I feel that life is kind of like a spiritual journey with um, right. a lot of unknowns uh, ahead of you. So it's like, and, and this film is kind of like um, uh, an expression of that. Especially since I I initially wrote it when I was in my mid twenties, you know I had um, uh, uh, just recently my my dad de- my my father stepped away, so I was kind of like um, uh, uh, dealing with that. And on the other hand, I wasn't I wasn't really sure what my life had in store down the line. and was still starting off career wise, you know. So there were a lot of unknowns, you know. And and I think um, the whole idea of, of of unknowns being this one gigantic mystery, this kind of a uh, uh, spiritual mystery was was something that I wanted to to express myself cinematically. So that's basically why I wanted to make Shadowplay. Is is to kind of like uh, lay out this this idea of, uh, of of this kind of a forked journey that we all go through in our own little ways, and how the past plays into what you deal with in the future as mm. well. Yeah. All right. Well, that,
0: that's very interesting. Thank you very much uh, for sharing with us. Uh, about that, but slightly more personal aspect, if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, I mean, of course, another person that the actual person we see on screen is uh, Tony Yusof, um, yeah. a very well-regarded actor here in the Malaysian context. Yeah. Um, I feel like I know a fair amount of his work, but um, I, you know, I've not been around as much as well, so yeah. um, I might be overreaching here. But for me personally, um, yeah. this somehow feels like the role of a lifetime for him because. Yeah. I've seen him in a number of other stuff, and it's all yeah. fine and dandy. Um, I think he was he was in KL Underground. Eh? Uh, uh, he was in it is basically a spin off series from KL Gangster. So I think,
1: yeah, yes, 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 he yes. was Underworld, yeah, Underworld,
0: <laughs> Underworld. That's right.
1: <laughs> so,
0: so he was in yeah. there, and
1: then and then he yeah. was
0: in other films and other shows yeah. as well. But but they're not really the kind of characters that has yeah. the same yeah. kind of depth that, that Anton has here yeah. on screen. Yeah. So yeah. I, I also wonder here, like, what kind of input he provided into
1: the shaping of the character that we see in the film. Yeah, the great thing about Tony is, I think, um, at least at least in my estimation, he's he's a very good technique actor, uh, in, in which case, you know, you just need to communicate a lot to him and give him all the material that he needs. So, like, you know, it's more in, in terms of the preparation of character. So I gave him right. a lot of information in terms of, uh, you know, things like trauma uh, on one thing. That's more on the real world side, side of things. Um, childhood trauma and how it manifests in adulthood—you know—points like that, as well as kind of like um, Ciphers' um, iconic references. You know, so I show, you know, like I I, I, I made him. I reminded him about some of the classic uh, figures, Matinee, uh, Matinee mm. figures in the '40s, '50s. You know, as well as Steve McQueen. So I think what what I what I put mm. into his mind was like, imagine yourself as the Malaysian Steve McQueen, <laughs> so, which is which is which is exactly what I saw in him. That works. Yeah, that works. It no, that works. It, it, works.
0: Yeah, works. Right. it really it
1: does. Exactly. So, so as he, with all the information in mind, so in terms of his input, rather than him actually, you know, like vocally, you know, uh, expressing input, he would just demonstrate it. You know. Mm. So he's very good at absor- absorbing information, absorbing information, and then you know, once he he knows what the character is, he just acts it out, and then you tell him whether that's right, whether you're on the right track, and then what you need to tweak here and there. And in in this particular case, Tony was very much like a, a one take wonder in a sense. Uh, I mean, uh, that's a, a dream. Yeah, from a rehearsal standpoint. So that's what makes him a very a, a consummate professional. But having said so that, but <laughs> yeah, I wanted to tap into his method acting side as well. So and and this basically, I told him to channel everything that he experienced up to that point in recent years. And as we all know, he went through a lot of things. You know, okay. you, know, you know, one of which, you know, had a, uh, initially had a negative impact on his life, but then he came out swinging after that. So I wanted him to channel those moments, you know, where, where he was at his lowest depth, you know, mm. uh, to convey the kind of suffering, you know, the internal suffering that, that Anton was experiencing on screen. Uh, and and that it worked out beautifully for me, you know, and I have a feeling that, um, I, 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 I knew he would have been able to pull it off even if we had shot the film 10 years before. But it would be mm. it would have been different. I oh, think yeah. I, see, I think it feels more authentic now after he had experienced uh that rock bottom part of his life.
0: So true. Um yeah. I think I think perhaps I mean I think we're all just people at the end yeah. of the day. And and more to the point here, I think that the kind of life experience that you gain,
1: yeah, um,
0: even for yourself, if we had quite frankly, because this film, I feel that like it's a very adult film in many respects. Yeah. Um, it it talks about grief, loss and all sorts of things in all sorts of different ways. So, so even if, as you mentioned earlier, there are some things in your own life that had occurred that kind of gave you the idea that this could work well in the context of a creative exploration, we call a film, um, we, we we might miss out a bit more on the extra life experience to kind of really make it into what it is. Mm. So, because I feel that, um, because as I mentioned, it's a very adult film dealing with a lot of uh, very adult yeah. themes. Um, even for yourself as a filmmaker, I'm sure yeah. that for you, um, all this extra experience that you get in the intervening decade between you wanting to make it the first time and then you eventually releasing it in 2019, I think that must have helped you as well in terms of how yeah. you would, would, would kind of bring your A-game to, to the making of this film. I would imagine, or am I kind of yeah.
1: projecting too much of my own experience here? <laughs> sorry, if I'm, yeah, sorry if that's no, the case. No, no, no. You're, <laughs> you're pretty much on the nose. You're, you're very much on the nose actually in, in this regard, You know, because, no, you're right. Um, I mean, within those 10 years, I obviously matured as as both a person and, and as a filmmaker, in which case and it seemed right for me to, uh, to get this film made later rather than then. Mm. Um, but on the other hand, to be honest with you, I was also a little bit rusty. Uh, I hadn't directed anything substantial in quite a while um, because there was a, there was a, there was a period, uh, there was a hiatus period where I focused more on IP development um, for animation. Right. Just just, yeah. just for context, when did yeah. you make Shadowplay? Like
0: the actual production side of things? Uh, like when was 2018. 2018. 2018. Yeah. When was... Oh, it's a long time. Chua was 2014. Oh, my goodness. Okay. There
1: you go. You're right. All right. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. So, and but, but Chua was what set me on that path in the first place mm. that made me realize, okay, maybe I still have uh, some passion left in me to, to give this one more shot. But um, so, so the genesis of of, of Shadowplay actually getting made more or less started with Chua. So, so when Chua was finally released, that, that gave me the motivation. To resurrect Shadowplay and, and set it on its path to getting made, you know, it would take a few more years, you know, and a few and a few false starts. Mm. But ultimately, it was Chua that, that 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 regenerated my uh, my desire to direct again. On, on one hand, you know, it's like I, which is why I feel that I would like to remake Shadowplay uh, at some point in my life um, hmm. with, uh, with a better budget, you know, and with more preparation in hand and kind of like polish uh, the parts of it which i felt didn't work out um kind of like what um, michael mann did with heat uh because uh, uh, th- several years earlier he made this made for television film called uh la takedown yeah yeah which okay. was uh, a little bit yeah and then and then which was a dry run for for heat in 1995. But an actual film. right yeah the actual film so I'm, i might i might follow that path again
0: one day Given the film's narrative uh, depth, I also wonder, um, like, in terms of the actual directing to make sure that the characters or the the, the actors Mm -hmm. kind of know where their characters are at and whatnot. Were there moments, for instance, where you needed to remind people about where their characters are at with regards to their development or the stage of the story and such? Um, Because
1: uh,
0: I understand that the film filmmaking
1: schedule for this for shadow play was yeah. what two weeks um altogether two weeks but principal photography was 10 days 10 Even days yeah. there you go
0: so that's that's a, <laughs> that's very tight yeah.
1: Yeah. my goodness
0: <laughs> for a film like this okay fair enough but still i mean like did you have to remind people about certain things yeah. uh, did yeah. the actors themselves lose track of where their characters uh were or are
1: at for instance uh, surprisingly, not particularly, because um, uh, most of the cast, I, or I would say uh, all, all, all all of the cast, were were already pretty well versed in the screenplay already, um, hmm. because because I got them all on board um, a few years earlier, you know, when I first started to try to get things rolling on the film. Oh, uh, okay, all right. All right. So. Um, uh, but then we had a few false starts in between until until this finally happened. So so they were they were very familiar with the with the structure of the story and their characters already. And then and then of course rehearsal time you know prior to production helped in that regard as well. So they came and prepared and they, and and they pretty much knew exactly where they were at certain junctures in the story even though we were not shooting uh, chronologically. Hmm. So so that was that was a little miracle in that sense.
0: Okay, so that's very interesting. Because I, I, I was just now that you mentioned it, I was just thinking about yeah. whether you actually created. Because yeah. some filmmakers yeah. they create a kind of Bible or a kind of yeah. like character profile that's very mm. in depth about the background of the character and such. And I wonder whether you created something yeah. like that for the performers in Shadowplay.
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, uh, I mean, it started off as as mainly just a one paragraph kind of uh, profile mm-hmm. uh, or bio for each character. But uh, a lot of it, you know, in terms of uh, fleshing out these characters, a lot of it uh, came through the process of multiple reads and then eventually the rehearsals themselves. But it was also even, even just off off, off off the project itself because I, 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 I met these people from time to time and from time to time we would mm. discuss the film and the characters. So it's, 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 like, it's like they familiar, familiarized themself, themselves with these roles Pretty much over the course of that uh, of, of those years that <laughs> that this that this film was trying to get made, so it it happened almost organically. They just kind of like absorbed these characters. But I think something else kind of happened. It's like almost as though these characters were um, formulated on their own volition, you know, ah. it's, and and it's, it's it's almost like they manifested on their own throughout the course of, of the film's genesis. And did the actors just kind of like slipped into those suits into those character suits and put them on is is it can can you give
0: us like a specific example of of this kind of like natural evolution that you mentioned just now
1: okay i, I think I think one of those things um one of those examples would be Radi, uh Khalid's character of uh, of the gaunt man right. um i think what we what we would often say was that uh we we conjured the gaunt man and uh and now we can't put him. And now we can't put him back in the box. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a very pleasing thought. I, mean, I know, yeah. I know. But but that's the way it felt. You it was like um, Roddy himself. You know, because he's 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 um, he's been doing this for years. You know, he's he's yeah. he's, he's one of the most uh, reliable uh, character. One of the most reliable character actors in the in the local industry. Oh yeah. Absolutely. So 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 he himself didn't actually have to put too much preparation into it. He just became so familiar with the character. That he essentially just just slipped into it the moment we, we rolled camera. Uh, I would say that, and, and the funny thing was, you know, it, it, even though he would kind of manifest it during rehearsals, mm. um, it, it was very different when when you put him in front of the camera because that's when he became alive. Right. So uh, so it, it really felt like uh, we, we we conjured him only when we needed him. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So 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 that was that was the, the, that was kind of like an, in in a morbid kind of way. It was very beautiful and of course you know as discussed earlier that was very evident with uh, with how tony um, manifested his character as well mm. you know and um and i would say that juria uh did the same as well because you know when when i initially cast juria it, it was in, in her it was kind of like the reverse because mm. uh it was more like rather than um make her fit the character it's to find a character uh, who is like her and that was oh, okay. kind of like magic you know it's like kind of you know when when, when i was introduced to uh, to juria through a mutual friend it was like oh my god this is lamia in the flesh you know oh, every okay. inch of her you know inside and outside is her you know it's it's almost as though we we conjured her as well you know, so. so she also has yeah, gone missing yeah. in real life uh, in the past perhaps. <laughs> for, 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 fortunately, not so much. I see her every day on Instagram, so, so she's very much, uh, very much still on this earth. Okay,
0: good to know. Good, yeah, to know. good to know. Yeah. So do you, do you have to change your directing style? Not, not, not that you mentioned that. You're absolutely right because yeah. you do have yeah. performers. Mm-hmm at different mm-hmm. ends of the experience scale. I just wonder yeah. whether there's yeah. a need for you to change your directing style in terms of trying to get the actors to kind of bring their A-game to, to the screen.
1: Not, not in particular. Um, I think I, I would say that I was fairly consistent in my, in my directing style when it came to actors. I, uh, for the most part, what I would do is... Um, initially, uh, one of the things I did early on directorially uh, was that I would kind of like... I have a particular um, approach in mind in terms of blocking and performance. Mm-hmm. And because I myself came from a theater background, I would, I would act it out for them and make oh, them follow. Oh, really? It. <laughs> yeah. But, I, I, but then I, I came to realize that it didn't really give much uh, flexibility to the actors. So mm-hmm. what I did instead, you know, when, when with, with Shadowplay was because uh, it was kind of like treading new ground for me, because, like what I said early on, I hadn't actually directed substantially in quite a while. I felt mm-hmm. kind of rusty, but I, but on the other hand, it was kind of like a clean slate for me to try something new. And uh, in this particular case, I just kind of like let the actors do their own thing based on what I communicated to them. But I made sure, I had to make sure that my communication was clear con- con- concise and, um, uh, and, uh, gave them enough room to just kind of like, uh, um, find find their voice in in these performances, and mm. and funny enough, by just giving them that freedom, they 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 did what I was ex- uh, expecting them to, uh, and and some and sometimes more, often more than what I expected. So, that's the All way right. to go. Yeah. Okay, that's
0: that's very good. That's very interesting yeah. to note. Um, mm. As an aside, when you mentioned that you you used to act things out for your actors, I'm reminded of a thing <laughs> yeah. I read on Reddit a few days ago. Yeah. of how Paul Verhoeven would do the same in Robocop. There's a yep. scene in Robocop <laughs> yeah. where it's yeah. a, 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 night, a nightclub scene and he wanted to show the extras how they are supposed to dance. And then he ended up, he ended up showing it for them. And then just for a laugh, the cinematographer yeah. would record... Yeah. him dancing and that ended up making his way into the film into the final yeah. film yeah. and he he was an extra in, in that uh, scene itself and that came about yeah. just because yeah. as, as you mentioned just now he wanted yeah. to show people uh, we need more energy and if you know yeah. paul if you know paul verhoven yeah. yeah. with yeah. his eccentric uh, eccentricities yeah. and whatnot yeah. so yeah, yeah. so he, he has this manic energy about him and yeah. he wanted to show that, and that ended yeah. up making its way into the film. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm just you—you yeah. you, you are the Malaysian Paul Verhoeven, is what I'm saying.
1: Um. <laughs> <laughs> that's I'm, that's beyond flattering. <laughs> I, I I aspire to be, you know. I'm not sure I'm quite there yet, but I aspire to be. <laughs> Absolutely. Um,
0: Coming back to, to this, however, yeah. we, we are yeah. going to wrap up this episode uh, of our discussion okay. in, a, in a short yeah. while. Um, sure. But I, I did watch Devoted, a series yeah. you developed for View because yeah. largely because you told me to. Um, but also, <laughs> I mean, I think I, I, I might have seen it sooner or later, but it kind yeah, of yeah. made me wonder about like yeah. the development of that show yeah. and Shadowplay in terms of, yeah. like um, yeah. is there a link, for instance, that we can draw between the character, the character of Eva... In
1: devoted, yeah. and then the character of Anton in Shadowplay. I wouldn't say a conscious link, um, right? Because um, I mean, the, the character of Eva herself was was primarily uh, molded by by Corinne. Uh, All right, Corinne yeah. Agree, so, but I think the one commonality I would say, like in terms of how you could draw a, a kind of link between the two, is that you know, on one hand, Anton is my alter ego, hmm. and Eva was was Corinne's alter ego. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Project- okay. Yeah, I see that uh, uh, a fictitious projection of herself, you know, based on her experiences as a mother uh, and as a mm. wife um, in recent years, uh, leading up to to, to devoted uh, conception inception. So, but yeah, but the thing is, you know, both projects developed concurrently, you mm. know. Um, so I think uh, during the writing process of devoted, because initially it was a feature film screenplay, a feature film project. Devoted. Yeah. Yeah. Devoted. Before ah, okay. it became a series, so, so and we 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 kind of like uh, Corinne and I gave input to to um, uh, uh, Damon, uh, our screenwriter, in terms of uh, how the story was being formulated. So I think uh, some 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 of the uh, uh, familial kind of elements that you pointed out does does kind of like have that draw that kind of connection between the two characters and the two films in that sense. Because mm-hmm. obviously those two things mean a lot to me as well. Okay. So uh so yeah, um yeah, definitely a a latent kind of connection between the two, okay, very interesting, yeah. right, so yeah. the last question for
0: this part of our discussion, um yeah. there is the term cloudwalker used in the film, yeah. yeah, I just wonder whether it's there because you couldn't get the rights to the term skywalker, <laughs> No.
1: <laughs> but I mean you could you could argue that it's kind of like a tip to the hat a tip yeah. of the hat too. <laughs> To Jedi, you know, because that's what these these so-called Cloud Walkers are, in a sense, in, in the world of Shadow. But but it's actually a di- direct translation of Nefeli Bata. Um, oh really? Yeah, yeah. So, the direct it's, translation. It's, ah. Yeah, so so Nefeli yeah Nefeli Bata in in Greek. Wait, let me just check that. Was it actually Greek? <laughs> <laughs> you uh, wouldn't want the Greeks to be
0: angry at you. Yeah, I yeah. Think. Yeah, that's not a good thing.
1: Portuguese, Portuguese. Sorry, not Greek. Portuguese. Portuguese. Yeah, yeah. So, so I came across that word from a friend, uh, Saraya, uh, somebody, somebody I, I I met a few years back. You know, so that that gave me an idea in terms of uh, uh of what a character like Anton and and, and Lamia um, represents, you know, mm. and 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 the meaning of that is to okay, uh, I'll read at the meaning. Okay, Nefeli Bata. Um, from Nefeli Cloud and Bata, a place where you can walk, is used to describe those of us who are rather unique and un- unorthodox. A Nefeli Bata is a cloud walker or one who does not abide by the precepts of society, literature, or art. So, that in itself is is kind of like a, a a cipher for what Play is as a film and what its protagonist reflects as well. So, yeah, that's the or, the origin of a uh, cloud walker right there
0: excellent well, that's yeah. lovely to know how that yeah. all got started yeah. Um, yeah. And but for now of course we are going to end this particular episode uh, we right. will continue our discussion later yeah. on with the second episode where we'll be talking a bit more about the film Shadowplay but for now uh, Tony thanks very much yes. for your time um, I'll catch up with you uh, a bit more later on thanks very much cheers. Tony
1: thank you for having me it was a pleasure see you right. again good stuff right. bye right. cheers bye everything is okay I just want to play